Dear brothers and sisters, and welcome to session number 30 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program. Inshallah, today we will be beginning with page number 121 of the Holy Quran. The closest non-Muslims to the Muslims. Okay, so we all know that you know the Prophet ﷺ, he tried his best um, to spread the message and to allow the people out there who were not Muslim to be become aware of the truth um, and what Allah wants of the people. Now, did he always succeed in being able to convince others? No. Some there were some who embraced the faith. There were some who did not embrace the faith. But out of these people who did not embrace the faith, the non-Muslims, uh, you will have different grades of people. Some at an extreme of animosity towards Islam, and some who will have less animosity or no animosity at all. And so these verses that we will cover from page 121, they are speaking of those who are closer uh, to the Muslims when it comes to affection towards Muslims and those who are farther away uh, from this affection. Verses number 82 and 83 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. A'udhu billahi shaytan rajim Latajidanna ashaddan nasi adawatan lil-ladhina amanu al-yahuda wal-ladhina ashraku Walatajidanna aqrabahum mawaddatan lil-ladhina amanu al-ladhina qalu inna nasara ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ مِنْهُمْ قِسِّيسِينَ وَرُهْبَانًا وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ تَرَى أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيضُ مِنَ الدَّمْعِ مِمَّا عَرَفُوا مِنَ الْحَقِّ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاكْتُبْنَا مَعَ الشَّاهِدِينَ Surely you will find the most hostile of all people towards the faithful to be the Yahud and the Mushrikeen, the polytheists. And surely you will find the nearest of them in affection to the faithful to be those who say we are Christians. That is because there are priests and monks among them and because they are not arrogant. So there are three things here, brothers and sisters, that they have that sets them apart. We'll discuss these inshallah. When they hear what has been revealed to the apostle, you see their eyes fill with tears because of the truth that they recognize. They say, Our Lord, we believe, so write us down among the witnesses. Now here, um, witnesses has a, uh, has a broader meaning. Uh, and what it means is, you know, the ones with the Muslims, let's say. Okay, in this sense right now, in this uh, context that we're in, the Muslims, the followers of the, followers of the Prophet, the Prophet himself, this group of believers, write us amongst those who are the believers. Okay, so as I said, um, it's not that all of the disbelievers, all of those who don't believe, they are all at the same level when it comes to closeness and farness from the Muslimin. This verse or these verses are clearly pointing out that there are going to be some who um, have more affection towards the Muslims versus others. Now there is a broader context of these verses as well, right? Um, if you remember, in our previous sessions, we touched on how the Qur'an in the previous pages 
is speaking about the different false and unacceptable beliefs in the Jewish faith and in the Christian faith. So for example, in Jewish faith of back then, by the way, let me open this parenthesis, we are talking about the Yahud and Nasara of the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they believe in the same things today. For example, when it said, Yadullahi Maghlula, that God's hand is tied, that the Yahud of the Prophet's time, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said that his hand is tied, Allah's hand is tied. Does this mean that now today even the Yahud believe in the same thing? Not necessarily. We'll have to see what their theology um, postulates now. But all in all, back then, and this is what they were saying, and so the Qur'an was scolding them on that. We talked about this. This was one of our lessons in our previous um, session. Also, we had how the Qur'an was um, scolding the Nasara with the belief that they had of the Trinity. ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَةَ لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَةَ If I'm not mistaken. That these people are kafir, this is wrong. What do you mean thalatha? There's only one God. What do you mean three? One of three or the third of three? So after going through all of that, brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making his point that there are problematic beliefs um, and tenets that they have in these faiths. Now he wants to point out uh, that, look, it's not all bad either in the sense of just because there are major issues with the beliefs, doesn't make them necessarily very bad people either. Okay, and this is something that I said we'll talk about in our last session. I said we'll talk about it today. Um, they might have improper beliefs, but that doesn't make them very bad people necessarily. And we'll talk about that, of course, what conditions there are for that. But it doesn't mean that they're all, everyone out there loves you too. No, it's not the case. There will be some who love you, there will be some who don't love you out there. So there is really, you have this whole, you have this whole uh, uh, spectrum of people when it comes to the disbelievers, those who are not Muslim. The first thing we need to talk about is that is this a general rule for all times and is it 100% black and white? This is something I want to say before I get into the details. That we'll go through the verse and we'll talk about what the verse is saying. But after that, I want you to know that we're going to have to see, is it going to be black and white now? And that the verse is speaking about the Christians being closer and the Jews being farther. Does that, is that something that's black and white and applies to all times? The answer will be no. We'll talk about that later as well. So I want, this, I want us to keep this in mind before labels are thrown left and right to the, uh, on the Muslims about how the Qur'an is preaching that you hate a certain group of people or you don't like a certain group of people because they don't like you. This was during the Prophet's time It won't necessarily apply to every single Yahudi or Nasara today, right? Today we'll have to look at the facts and stuff that's happening on the ground, yes? And make a decision and judgment based on that. But for now, all in all, um, what we what we can say, and I'm saying all of this based on the tafsirs that we have, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying this, um, just sharing my own opinion here. If it was my own opinion, I would tell you. But no, this is what is in the tafsirs. So we'll get into some of those details as well, whether or not we have we can look at this in a black and white manner or not. Um, for now, let's talk about 
the verse itself and at least the time we're sure it's talking about, which is the time of the Holy Prophet and the disbelievers that were around him. The disbelievers around him, they were either mushrik, uh, polytheists, um, and usually you would find them in Mecca um, of the Arabs, or they were the Yahud and the Jews of that time, and you would have them mostly in Medina, uh, excuse me, not in Medina, but around Medina, around, uh, uh, for example, in the lands of Khaybar and other places, and even in Medina as well. So that's what you, you would, the Prophet was dealing with them there, uh, mostly. And then you would have the Nasara, the Christians who, um, some of them, you know, you would have them in the, uh, you would have them close to the uh, lands of the Muslims, maybe in the beginning when the Muslims were being persecuted in Mecca, where did they go? They migrated, some of them migrated under the leadership of uh, Ja'far, the brother of Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, Ja'far al-Tayyar. They went to Ethiopia, yes, Habasha. And so they were living there. And so they are neighbors to the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, that's where the Muslims were. So that, that was a Christian land and other places. Um, so you would have these three of non-Muslims, these three groups of non-Muslims um, that the Prophet was dealing with. Even in Medina, I'm pretty sure there were Christians as well. Okay, so now, having said all of that, when we look at the history of Islam, that will be enough for us to understand who the bigger enemies of the Prophet and Islam were. Yeah, it does, it's not rocket science. When we, when we look, you don't find the Nasara lining up against the Prophet, but you will find the Prophet sometimes being in battle against the Yahud. Either directly or indirectly, the Yahud were involved, we know for a fact, were involved in different conspiracies against the Holy Prophet and trying to get rid of the Holy Prophet in one way or another. And since they were minorities uh, in those lands after the Prophet came and took power, they were doing it as subtle and as discreet as possible in order not to get in trouble. But at the end of the day, they were involved. And it reached the point where, yes, there was direct conflict and there was direct fighting um, in the Battle of Khaybar and uh, the ones that happened and the other battles that happened in those times. All right, so having after the Battle of Ahzab. So having said all of that, when you look, you can find that all right, in history, you can tell who the bigger enemy is, who has more hatred and animosity towards Islam and the Prophet and is the Yahud of that time. Who else does not like the Prophet and Islam Well, of course, ashraku, the ones who are mushrik, the mushrikeen, they are maybe the most upset at the Prophet because the Prophet came and messed everything up for them. Everything was going pretty well for them before. They were making loads of uh, money off of uh, the power that they had in Mecca and the idolatry they had spread amongst the people and all of that kind of stuff. Um, then all of a sudden here comes somebody by the name of Muhammad who uh, kind of destroys everything for them. Um, and uh, goes against the beliefs and ideologies they've had for, for, the, for the longest time. So of course they're going to dislike him. So, these two groups have big animosity, but do you find ever the Prophet fighting against uh, the Nasara? 
No, you don't find that too much. Maybe towards the end when they fought against the Byzantines. And there's explanations to that as well of why that was the case. But all in all, you find that those who were really looking to overthrow the Holy Prophet were these two groups of the Yahud and the Mushrikeen. So that's what the verse is now saying here. It's saying you will find those who are the most hostile to be the Yahud and the Mushrikeen. But on the flip side, you will find those who call themselves the Christians, you will find them to be the ones who are closest to you when it comes to affection and love. Okay, that's interesting. Mawaddatan, the word love is used here. Why is this the case? Is it something they believe in that makes them closer to us? Or what is it? Well, the, whole, the, the Qur'an points out three of the characteristics that these Nasara had during the Prophet's time. I want us to pay attention. During the Prophet's time, sallallahu alayhi wa that allowed them to uh, have that affection towards the Holy Prophet. And so once we go through these, and discuss them a little bit, you'll understand that this is not necessarily going to be the case with the Nasara of today. Um, although they are lots of times, some of them at least, are very nice people. But look at the reasoning that's used here in the Qur'an. Um, it says, They have, amongst them, they have priests, scholars, you know, people who have knowledge. Qisis. It refers to those uh, people of knowledge um, and the clergy of the Christian faith. So that's one thing about them. And their scholars were different, according to our Mufassirin. They were different than the scholars of the Yahud. The scholars of the Yahud, they really pursued their personal interests a lot of times. But with these ones, it's a little different. وَرُهْبَانًا They also have Ruhban which is the um, those ascetics, those mystics, those monks of amongst them. Those zuhad, the ones who try their best to be detached from the dunya, to not fall for the glamours and the flashy stuff of this dunya. They are detached from it. okay, And they're trying their best to care less about um, the, the nice stuff of this dunya, this worldly life. وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ They don't have arrogance. These Nasara, they're not arrogant people. And this has been discussed before, how the Yahud felt that they are the chosen ones of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you remember, we had a lesson uh, before that if anyone ever feels that they are the chosen ones, let's see if Allah is going to hold them accountable on the Day of Judgment for the bad deeds that they do. If God was not going to hold you accountable, then yes, you are special. But if God is, is going to hold you accountable, then no, you're not special. <laughs> There's nothing special about you. Anyway, we talked about that before. But here it says that they're not arrogant. La yastakbirun. And our Mufassirin have explained that you would find them being more open to convert and embrace Islam. Versus who? Versus the Yahud. You wouldn't hear too many stories about the Yahud, although there are some great individuals of the Yahud that have been mentioned as well who would embrace the faith. But lots of times you will find that uh, it was more than Nasara that were embracing versus the Yahud. All in all though, I would say that the Mushrikeen were the most who were embracing it. But the Mushrikeen 
you wouldn't find that arrogance in them that you would find in the Bani Israel back then of being chosen people and whatnot. All right, so um, this is this is these are the three characteristics of them. So it's not that oh they believe in love or they believe in this or but they believe in that. Although that is the case maybe for some of them, but the Quran is pointing this out that these are th th this is the type of people they were, and as a result of being such, look at the next verse now. وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ تَرَى أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيدُ مِنَ الدَّامِعِ That when they hear what has been revealed to the Apostle, you see their eyes fill with tears. Why? Because now they found the truth. And so they embrace the truth. That's what's so special about them. Yeah, there will be stories of, you know, Ja'far al-Tayyar in Ethiopia, for example, how people there would hear um, what he had to say and what he had to preach about Islam and they would embrace the faith, they would fall in love and their eyes would fill with tears because they love the faith and they know that this is the truth. Alright, so that's a sign of how they were, of how much they were open to the truth. The fact that when it comes their way, they embrace it, not just embrace it by force, they embrace it with tears of joy. Alright, so now, Having said all of this, brothers and sisters, this is the very important point we want to talk about. How much does this apply to us today? Because I know some people take these verses and they, it might be an excuse and pretext for them to dislike Jews and, um, and love the Christians, for example. No, brothers and sisters, this is talking about the time of the Prophet Today, we have to see, the, a Muslim individual will have to look around him or her and see what's going on in the world see what's going on in their community, in their neighborhood, in their city, wherever they are, and then judge. Okay. So for example, I, I saw that one of the tafsirs had pointed this out. He's there like, look, this has to do with the Prophet's time, or else after his time, when we look, when we go down a few centuries or some centuries, you'll find the Crusades happening. And these were um, wars that took place between who? Between the Christians and the Muslims. And the Muslims uh, were attacked and really um, destroyed in some of them. Yes, so uh, you can't just take this verse and say, oh no, there's all love here. No, no, that verse is ap applicable to that time. And uh, we'll have to see if it applies to other times as well. This is something that has been pointed out, as I said. Or take World War, World War I and World War II and what happened and the, Brit and the British and all the colonialism that took place um, and and what happened in 1948, and all these things, like, wait a minute, uh, these are not uh, the Yahud we're talking about here. Right? Great Britain has uh, a lot of blood on its hands, brothers and sisters, a lot of blood on its hands, even till today as we speak, because of all the things that are happening in the world. Uh, lots of it will go back to the, the doings of Great Britain, um, you know, especially maybe after World War II. All right, so what we get out of this is that... Uh, the verse isn't black and white and telling people to hate Jews or love Christians totally. No, back then this is how they this is how they were. So you can find you can you can come to the conclusion that okay, these are the ones closer, these are the ones farther away. But in this day and age, just because someone is Jewish or Christian doesn't mean that okay, this is they're they're on my side. This one's not on my side. Now, even today, even you know, as the world has changed a lot since fourteen hundred years ago. You'll find that Muslims and even Hindus, you know, are getting along. They're their buddies and you know, in school and friends and all that kind of stuff. So, 
Um, all in all, all in all, according to the tafsirs that I've looked at at least, we cannot draw a rule here from 1400 years ago and then say, okay, from uh, even today, you can't be friends with him because of this, but you can be friends with him because of that. You know, that kind of thing. Um, well, it does not hold. But I do have to reiterate once again that, uh, and I said this before in our previous sessions, that just because some are close, some are far, does not mean in any way that the beliefs that they have, right, in their faith are in any way justified or in any way acceptable. Right? Page 103, page 105, page 110. And then I think it was page maybe 120 if I'm not mistaken, or which one was it? Yeah, page 120 as well. These were all verses speaking very harshly against the different uh, beliefs that we find in the Christian faith, namely the Trinity, the cross, and all of these things. So these two should not, we should, we should understand, these two are not related to each other. How the people are and how willing they are to accept the faith, that's one thing. But just because that you know, things are good there doesn't mean that the beliefs that they might have are in any way justified. Please do not forget that verse where Allah is, it seems that Allah is triggered. And He says, do you want me to destroy everyone as a result of what? As a result, result of the fact that they were saying that the Masih is Allah. We seek refuge in Allah. Alright, page number 122 of the Holy Qur'an speaks about something that I am very, very passionate about and something that I feel is important because I feel there are some major, major implications and repercussions if we don't figure this out. Alright? Um, and that has to do with being a little too spiritual, going overboard with things, making things forbidden on ourselves or others while it is not necessary. We're going to spend some time on this, brothers and sisters. So let's get into it. Verses 87 and 88 of Suratul Ma'idah. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tuharrimu tayyibati ma ahallallahu lakum wa la ta'tadu inna allaha la yuhibbul mu'tadeen wa kulu mimma razaqakumullahu halalan tayyiba wa attaqullaha alladhi antum bihi mu'minun. O you who have faith, do not prohibit the good things that Allah has made lawful to you. And do not transgress. Indeed, Allah does not like the transgressors. Eat the lawful and good things Allah has provided you and be wary of Allah in whom you have faith. Alright, so it says, لا تحرموا طيبات ما أحل الله لكم طيب means something that's pure, something that's not bad, you know. Here now it's used the word, the good things, okay. That's, that's cool, but I like the word pure more even for طيب. Um, it's just a matter of preference of what kind of term to use here. So there are some tayyib, pure, clean, good things that Allah has allowed for us. According to this verse, apparently there are some who make those haram. What's going on? First and foremost, let me share with you uh, the sha'n al-nuzul. There are different sha'n al-nuzuls for this verse. And as, you, and as you probably remember, we discussed what sha'n al-nuzul means. Sha'n al-nuzul is the event or incident or occasion on which uh, the verse was revealed. Something takes place during the time of the Prophet and, the, and then a verse is revealed in regards to that incident. That is referred to as Sha'n al-Nuzul. 
Alright, so the Sha'an and Nuzul for this verse, there are different ones, but one of the main ones that has been mentioned is that, um, and by the way, let me say this in parentheses, it does, this doesn't mean that we have a Sha'an and Nuzul for every single verse of the Qur'an. There are a lot of verses in the Qur'an, they are, you know, they are giving us general guidelines and teachings, but there will be some verses and lots of verses that also were revealed after an incident took place. Parentheses closed. So what is the Sha'an and Nuzul? The, one of them is, for this verse or these verses, is uh, um, the, the story that goes like this, that the Holy Prophet is telling the people and his companions about the Day of Judgment and you know the hardships of that day and how we have to be ready and all that kind of stuff. These companions, um, uh, upon hearing all of this that the Prophet is telling them, they go back home and they make decisions to go hard on themselves, yes, um, and to stay away from and refrain from things that would, that are halal according to Islam. Um, one person decides to stay away from I don't know certain foods. Another one decides to stay away from uh, something else. Another one decides to stay away from his wife, and all these kinds of things. And eventually, uh, complaints reach the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he makes it clear that this is not how Islam is. And that, I mean, even we all know the Prophet himself was not like this. And so, uh, that is the Sha'an and Nuzul, they say, of these verses. That don't make things haram on yourselves that are halal, that are pure things um, um, upon you. Now, that is the Sha'an and Nuzul. But when you look at the verses um, that came, let me see here, the context of these verses also it might help in understanding why this verse is here and that is it has to do with you know what we talked about in our previous lesson on page 121 where it was talking about those people who um, were ascetics were people who were detached from dunya amongst the Christians yes and so the Quran there was kind of praising them but here it's just making it clear if we praised them that was a story for them Right? And I will recite a verse for you later as well in regards to this asceticism or monasticism that they call that they that they call it or they talk about. We'll talk about that later a little bit. But all in all, if God is praising them in you know page 121, those ascetics, those monks, it doesn't mean that he wants this for the Muslimin. So there's a Sha'na Nuzul for these, these verses. In addition, the context itself also might dictate that Allah makes it clear that look, we praised the Christians of the time of the Prophet for being monks and detaching themselves from dunya, but we don't want you to necessarily do that. Okay, so there are two reasons why this verse, you can say, is where it is, or these verses are where they are. Alright, so now, the verse that I want to share with you is this Ruhbaniyya uh, or Rahbaniyya, this monasticism. This is Surah Hadid, verse 27. It talks about this. That yes, the Christians had such a thing. Is it something we wanted? No, it's not something we wanted for the Muslims. In Islam, there is no Rahbaniyyah. Okay. Uh, it says, وَرَحْبَانِيَّةٍ ibtadauha." ما كتبناها عليهم إلا ابتغاء رضوان الله فما رعوها حق رعايتها 
that there was a Rahbaniyya, a monasticism, but as for monasticism, they innovated it. It's not something God put on their shoulders, yes, these Christian monks, something that they innovated. We had not prescribed it for them. Okay? Um, but if they want it, okay, we'll allow that, you know, for them to do that if they're seeking Allah's pleasure, things like that. Okay. So the Quran makes it clear this is not something we put placed on them. So a person reads these verses, sees that, okay, these Ruhbans or the, the Ruhban of that time, the Quran is speaking highly of them. Maybe that's something Islam wants from me. The Quran here says, لا تحرموا طيبات ما الله لكم No, no, no. We want you to live normal, balanced, moderate lives. Yes? Alright, so that verse that I recited, Hadid 27, was just to show that yes, this was a thing back then. Initially, God didn't want it for anybody, but since they wanted, He said, okay, here, I'll let you try to get, uh, use it to get to me. And it's interesting, he says, فَمَا رَعَوْهَا حَقَّ They didn't do a good job on it either. <laughs> so that's that. Alright, anyway. It says, don't make things that are halal on you haram. وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا Right? Uh, going hard sometimes, brothers and sisters. Now this is my understanding from this part of the verse. Going hard on yourselves is also a form of crossing the red lines and transgression. Why do, we, why do we always make it seem, or why do we might maybe, why do we sometimes maybe think that the only time we are crossing the red lines is when we're going easy on ourselves, when we're doing something that we're not supposed to be doing. In other words, not refraining from something we're supposed to refrain from. No, sometimes, or, or excuse me, not refraining from the harams. Sometimes refraining from the halals even might fall under this category. Who says? Well, the verse apparently is saying it. When we look at it at face value, that seems what it is implying. It says, do not do not make haram on yourselves the pure things that Allah has made halal and don't transgress. Don't transgress. In other words, this is a form of transgression. Inna Allah la yuhibbul mu'tadin. Allah doesn't like the transgressors. This is a form of transgression. Now someone might say, no. What is meant here is, um, don't make haram on yourselves that which is halal, but don't overdo the halal either. I did not find this in any tafsir, in any tafsir brothers and sisters. Um, you know, but maybe there are some opinions out there that might say that that's what is meant here. But my person personally, if you ask me, what I understand here is that this itself is a form of crossing the red lines. When you make things haram on yourself that are halal, why? Why are you going to do that? And then not only that, it's interesting, look, look at the emphasis here. Look at the emphasis, it's very important for us to understand that Islam, Islam is a uh, religion that um, cares about us being able to maintain living a religious life and us not burning ourselves out. That's what's cool. And so look, the next verse to emphasize says, وَكُلُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ حَلَالًا طَيِّبًا Eat from that which Allah has bestowed you, bestowed upon you and blessed you of halal and tayyib rizq. It's interesting. It says, مِمَّا رَزَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ Allah gave it to you. We have hadiths in this regard that, look, some things are earmarked for you. Take it. 
When Allah gives it to you, use it, benefit and consume. Yes, if you want to set a portion aside for others, that's fine. But like that's for you. Don't just give everything away now. Or don't refrain from everything. Oh my God, Allah has sent me blessings. I'm going to stay away from all of them because you know I'm just, I'm just about that spiritual life. No, that's not spirituality. I'm sorry. I say this because our scholars say this, brothers and sisters, not because I'm saying it. When it is for you, Allah has sent it to you, there is no reason for you to reject it. You take it, you consume, you, you, you take your share, and if you want to give a share of it to others, then Bismillah, no problem. In the story of Qarun, that enemy of Prophet Musa السلام, who came out, the Quran says he came out showing all of his, all of his goods off, all of the, uh, all of the uh, flashy stuff that he had because he was so wealthy, showing it all off, he came out in front of the people and did such. The people told him, and the Qur'an quotes the people, and it seems that the Qur'an is agreeing with the people here, and that's why it's quoting them. The people said, what are you doing? You know, this is from Allah, and, but don't forget your share of the dunya, that's fine. They're, everyone has their share, but like, what's wrong with you talking about, you know, um, this is all from me, and God had nothing to do with it, and no, 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 no. This is from God, and don't forget your share from the dunya, from what I remember of the verses. Alright, so, but this part I remember for sure. Don't forget your share of the dunya, that's fine. So if Allah has sent it my way, He's making it clear here. Allah has given it to you. This is from Allah, think about it. A package comes from Allah, you say, I don't want it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I'm about that spiritual life. That's not spirituality, brothers and sisters. Spirituality is how much I obey Allah and I respect His laws. That's what spirituality is. That's what defines how close or far I am from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I am making something haram on myself that Allah has made halal, that's a problem. Alright, anyway, <clears throat> but I want to point out here. First it said, first it said, لا uh, تحرموا uh, Do not make haram on yourselves. Then it said, kulu, eat. So you see, it's the negative and the positive here. Or the negative and the affirmative. First it says, don't, and then it says, do this. That is extra emphasis. That's extra emphasis. So I'll give you an example. Like Sometimes you have homework to do, right? But you're wasting your time. And then mom or dad is like, stop wasting your time. Right? That's what they'll tell you. Or you're playing a lot of video games. Let's say it like this. You're playing a lot of video games. Right? They'll say, stop wasting your time on video games and that's and they'll leave it at that sometimes to emphasize even more what do they do stop playing stop wasting your time on video games go do your homework which one has more emphasis the second one of course the second one where you have a don't and then it's followed by a do here it says, don't make haram on yourselves what Allah has made halal. But then to emphasize even more that like this is to be used by you. This is to be benefited and consumed by you. It says, kulu, eat. From that which is from Allah, it's stamped with Allah's, it's the, the from address on this package is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala address. Right? Allah address heavens. Alright? To who? To, mm, I don't know, 
uh, Ali, Hassan or Hussein address wherever in the world it is. Okay? So I feel like there's a lot of emphasis here. Now I want to talk about some things. That is the explanation I want to give of the verse or the verses. But now I want to talk about this concept a little bit of ihtiyat. Now and some of you who know me, you know what I'm about to say. Ihtiyat, we do have this concept in our faith. To do ihtiyat is not a bad thing, but sometimes, according to Ayatollah Bajat, ihtiyat can, become, can go against ihtiyat. It can destroy everything. It can cause major issues in the short run and in the long run. We take some wisdom, brothers and sisters, and some, and some foresight to figure out if I'm doing ihtiyat, is this too much or not? Is this, affect, is this going to affect me negatively in the short run or in the long run? Is it going to affect those around me, especially my family and close ones, in the long run or not? Oh my God. The stories that we have of parents sometimes imposing things on their children when it's not even wajib. And then eventually you find five years, ten years, twenty years later it shows itself. The, the implications of the wrong way of dealing with our children when it came to practicing ihtiyat and things. When from a fiqhi perspective, it wasn't even wajib, it wasn't even necessary. So we have <clears throat> this idea of, you know, I always use this example, I think some of you have heard this from me before, where you will have, you'll, you'll be looking in the sky and you're like, you're like, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's super spiritual man swooping down to save the day, or he thinks he's saving the day, but he is ruining it for himself or others. Why, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about those who, when it comes to al-shubuhat al-mawdu'iyyah or mistaqiyyah, whatever you want to call it, where ihtiyat in, I would say, maybe 80-90% of, of the cases is not even wajib, it might not even be encouraged, they will do ihtiyat because they're super spiritual man with that red cape or whatever color it is, I don't know, maybe green. <clears throat> and so they will do extra diligence. They will do extra homework to make sure something is halal. All right. I don't want to get into the details of this too much because there is a lot of nuance here and a lot of technicalities to get into of what is a shubha mawdu'iyah versus a shubha hukmiyah. Do we have to do ihtiyat in all shubhat mawdu'iyah? Do we have to do ihtiyat in shubhat hukmiyah? In shubhat mawdu'iyah, what are al-umur al-muhimma in which you have to do ihtiyat when it comes to shubhat mawdu'iyah? What are, what are other cases that it's not the case? Do we have some exceptions to lack of ihtiyat or, uh, or um, the unnecessary nature of ihtiyat in some of these shubuhat mudu'iyah, do we have exceptions to that or not? For example, when it comes to meat, is that going to be something that we can do a salatul, you know, hil in and apply a salatul hil to it or no? This is an exception to this rule of a salatul hil, a salatul ibaha, a salatul bara'a, these kinds of, there's a lot of technicalities here and it's okay if you didn't get some of the things I was saying. These are just examples just to show that uh, there is some nuance here, of course, of course. But what I want to say right now is this, brothers and sisters, lots of times uh, 
ihtiyat will not be necessary and might even be scolded and reproachable sometimes. Yet we will find people pushing for it, pushing, pushing. While when you read about the Alama Tabatabais and what they have to say about these matters, it's different than what the people are doing. And this comes, it stems from, I don't blame the people, it stems from their, their desire to make sure that Allah is happy. Right? But whether we like it or not, there will be some long-term ramifications when we get it wrong. The Sharia is well-rounded. The Sharia is such that it will keep a lot of things in, and take a lot of things into consideration when legislating rules and laws and how much we have to be cautious and practice ihtiyat in things. It's beautiful. Islam is beautiful. Islam is not an easy religion. When it comes to the um, the laws, of course, it's not going to be easy. There are hard laws. Fasting one month of Ramadan is who says that's easy? Um, uh, praying five times a day, who says that's not that's easy? A lot of other restrictions that we have are not easy, of course, but we make it sometimes harder than it's supposed to be. Yeah, that famous uh, hadith that uh, along the lines of by the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi that says bu'ithu alal. Hanifiyah or Hanafiyyah is Samhat is Sahla. I was sent with the easy-going faith. Well, what is it talking about? It's talking about these cases. At least one example of it is these cases where Islam has given a green light, yet the people want to turn that light red. Ya amanu, la tuharrimu. Why are you making haram that which is halal? Right? Well, when you look into it, you find that the reason for this lots of times is what they have heard from some people, from some, I'm not going to get into details, talking about al-athar al-wadi'iyah for things. What if it's really haram and I consume it? There is a effect, an irreversible effect that will come with that thing that was haram in reality, although for me it was halal. It will affect my spirituality no matter what. Things like that. Brothers and sisters, I have a lot to say about these things. But I'll just say one thing. They asked Allama Tabatabai about this and he rejected it. It's in his book that has been translated to English now. It's called In the Presence of the Allama. It's there. They've asked him and other places too. These, these matters have been discussed by our greats. But then someone will say, but what about all those stories that tell us about how something that was haram in reality affected someone in a negative way? We'll talk, those are things to talk about. Inshallah, one day I'm hoping to have a presentation just on this topic because man, is it eating away at the younger generation's iman and faith when it comes to uh, living up to the laws of the faith. And I, I fear that it will have long-term negative implications. right? Things that are not necessary, but we impose. Now, if someone wants to practice ihtiyat, that's fine. Go ahead. You want to go all out, that's fine. Go ahead. Who am I to get in the way of that? But can we impose it on our children as well? If it's halal, then who am I to make it haram on them? Now, younger ones who might be listening to this, I don't want you to use this as an excuse to now be too relaxed and go against the wishes of mom and dad either. If mom and dad are not comfortable with me doing certain things, then 
I have to keep their respect and I don't I can't hurt them either. But all in all, brothers and sisters, let's go back to our maraja and what they have in their books. That's how I see it. And the halal of Allah remains halal and the haram of Allah remains haram. One of the very wonderful sisters that I know, I want to share with you a story that you know kind of highlights what I'm trying to say here. One of the wonderful sisters I know, she, you know, her children, alhamdulillah, now they're all grown up as well. And, um, you know, sometimes the fatwas of marajah might change a little bit. And so I was sharing one of these fatwas that has to do with a certain ingredient being halal or haram and all of that. I explained, I explained to, I was explaining, I was explaining this fatwa to uh, the, a group of people in a lecture or something that you know this fatwa has changed and now things are a little easier and so after I finished uh, the lecture um, or the Q&A or whatever it was this sister who um, may Allah protect her and may Allah give her health and may Allah bless her um, as I said she's a very good sister in one of our communities she came up to me and she said Shaykh please don't mention this I'm like why? Just because we've taught our children otherwise. I was like, but sister, this fatwa has changed now. And if the fatwa has changed and it makes it easier for the believers, we already have enough haram out there. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sharia, if Islam is allowing it, um, even through the change of a fatwa, then why not? And she said, because I've taught our, my, we've taught our children otherwise. We need to, inshallah, I think personally, grow out of this, um, this fear that if certain ihtiyats are not practiced, that that's going to ruin everything. No, we have to revisit that, and inshallah, maybe I think it's time to, you know, uh, put certain things behind us. But it's going to be a slow process, and at the same time, we have to be careful not to fall on the other side of carelessness and heedlessness either, because I have noticed that we will. There are issues on that side as well. People who get a little too relaxed. No, everything, everything with, within the framework of Islam and Islamic law. Okay, And I will end this segment just with this verse as well, which is similar to what we just discussed. We have in Surah A'raf, verse 32, the same idea and concept. And maybe when we, when we reach Surah A'raf, we'll discuss uh, this verse as well. And what is that verse? It says, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ who, O Prophet, ask the people and tell them like, who, who out there is the one who made haram that which Allah has brought out from, you know, the earth of what? Of the zinats, of those beautiful things, of the tayyibat, the pure things that He has brought out of sustenance. For who? This is for His, his people, His creation, His servants. Live a balanced, moderate life and benefit from those pure things that Allah has put out for you and those beautiful things, the zinats that Allah has brought out for, from the earth for you. Oh, Ibadullah, why not? Yeah, so as you can, as I said, this one took a lot of time and um, I, uh, there was a reason for it because this, I feel, is affecting us um, very greatly in our communities. And with that, brothers and sisters, uh, I will be wrapping it up. Um, we only got through two verses uh, in this session, but it's all good. Um, both of them were very, very important. 
And I just want to, uh, with that, we are also ending um, this first season of a lesson per page. These sessions were recorded in the holy month of Ramadan in the year of 2021. And Alhamdulillah, we got through 30 sessions. Um, I was aiming for a little bit more of a number of pages, but Alhamdulillah, we did more than 120 pages in this first season. I call it the first season. Why? Because the goal, inshallah, and the plan is for us to continue this program uh, in the ensuing month of Ramadan. If Allah gives life to us and gives us health and tawfiq, for us to continue this to the point where we will finish the entire Qur'an maybe after two, three, four Ramadans even. God knows. I don't know. Inshallah. Um, I thank all of you who tuned in. Um, if you're hearing this maybe, I don't know. I know that a lot of people are behind as well in listening. In the month of Ramadan there's a lot going on so I do not expect everyone to, um, uh, to you know, catch up and not fall behind when it comes to listening. But uh, whoever is listening to this whenever they are listening to it, um, be it one month after the month of Ramadan, two months after the month of Ramadan, or those who might even have registered after the month of Ramadan to listen to these um, sessions. I thank you for, uh, for identifying uh, this program as something that will quench that thirst that we have for the Holy Qur'an. I thank you for the feedback that you have shared with us um, and the reception that uh, we got for this program. The idea was to cover as much area as we can, and I think that that was accomplished to a great extent. And to not leave a page of the Qur'an untouched and unscratched by us at least. Now that we've gone through these 122 pages of the Qur'an, if you go back and you recite these verses and these pages, you will come across the one verse or, one, or set of verses that we have covered in that page. And so uh, this was a personal experience by me. I was reciting the Qur'an from the beginning and every page I would go through, I was like, oh, this is one of those verses that we covered in a lesson per page. So I ask brothers and sisters that you keep us in your du'as and that Allah, and that you pray that Allah gives us the tawfiq uh, to continue this program uh, next Ramadan and pick up where we left off insha'Allah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. اللهم نور قلوبنا بالقرآن وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته